jurisdiction into James chapter number 2. And so find your way over. If you don't know where the book of James is, it's at the very tail end of your Bible, okay? There's only a couple books that come after the book of James. And so if you find the book Hebrews, that's kind of one of the bigger ones there at the end. Uh, If you go just a couple pages after that, you'll find your way into the book of James. And we're going to be finding our way there, James chapter number 2, diving into the first few verses here in just a few moments and seeing what God has for us this morning. James chapter number 2, and we're going to be looking at his word. We'll look at those first eight verses. Before we do, let's pray. We'll ask for the Lord's help, and then we'll dive into the scriptures together today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity you give us, for us to be able to come together, to be able to open your word, to be able to hear from you. I ask, Lord, that you would speak. I ask, Lord, that you administer to our hearts. Lord, the people that are here, they don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. And so, God, I pray that today, that as we lift up your word, as we uh, take this time and we, we expose what your word has to say, I pray, Lord, that it would find good soil in our hearts. I pray that we would receive it. Lord, thank you for how you've used this, this passage, these verses specifically, to minister to my heart. And I pray, God, that's exactly what they would do in each and every person here. Help me, Lord. I need your help. I ask, Lord, you speak through me. Help me, God, only to say those things you want me to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, uh, verses, the first eight verses we're going to look out here in James chapter number two. One of the things that I love as we preach verse by verse by verse through the Bible. Uh, many of you don't know this, or some of you don't, don't know this, but uh, 11 messages ago, we began our study through the book of James. We started in James chapter number one, verse number one. Today's verse, uh, uh, message number 12, and we've made our way to chapter number 2. We're going to look at these first eight verses. And, and one of the things I love about preaching this way is oftentimes you preach through things that you never would normally preach through. And today's one of those things. It's one of those subjects that, listen, it's important. It's vital. But it's one of those things that's just not one of those hot topic, uh, hot topic, hot button topics that, that, that oftentimes get preached on, but it doesn't make it any less important. In fact, as I was studying it, and as, as the Lord was working in my heart, I think this may be one of the most important messages that we could hear, and it's very timely for the time that we are in as a church. And so I'm looking forward to dive into this. Look with me, if you would, at James chapter number 2. If you have your Bible, you can open, look at it there. You can look to the screens. We're going to look at those first eight verses. The Bible says this in verse number 1 of chapter number 2. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gate clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in, in this good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves? Are you become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme the worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law, according to Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. Well, it'd be good for us to remind ourselves as we dive into chapter number two exactly who it is that's writing these words that we have before us. These, these, these words that are penned are recorded by none other than James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. The half-brother of Jesus Christ. While Jesus was on this earth for much of Jesus' life, James rejected him. He just 
disbelieved him. He didn't believe that Jesus was who he said that he was. He rejected him. It wasn't until far, oh, far later when Jesus would sacrifice himself that James would come to the realization of exactly who Jesus was. It wasn't until that point that James finally bowed his heart and said, Jesus, my half-brother, is God in flesh. And now here James is pinning this first New Testament letter to those of the first century. You say the first New Testament letter, it's at the end of my, the, the Bible here. What do you mean the, the first? No, no, listen, uh, by timeline, James was the earliest recorded book in the New Testament. Now the events that took place in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John took place before James wrote his book. But James sat down and, and actually penned these words before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were even recorded. James, the earliest New Testament writer. James writing to these believers who all that they had was the Old Testament. They didn't have any of the New Testament scriptures. James is writing to these, these, these first century Christians who we find in chapter number 1 are ones that are scattered abroad because of persecution that's come upon them. We saw last week as we wrapped up chapter number one that, that, that James, James came to them and he gave an example of what pure and, and, and undefiled religion, spotless re- religion really is. And, and he said, listen, it's selfless and it's spotless. And now would be a good time to remind us as well that the chapter breaks that we have in the scriptures didn't actually come until far later on, in centuries later after James would write this. So you can, you can imagine that all five chapters in the book of James were actually one single letter that James put together. So the truth is this, oftentimes we will stop at the end of chapter number two, and we will pick, or at the end of chapter number one, and then we'll pick up in chapter number two as if it's a totally new thought. But that's not the case at all. In fact, James is going from one thought to another. And while it does change just a little bit, you can, you can be sure that the what he finishes up with in chapter number one in the last two verses, listen, it carries over into what he's going to say here in chapter number two. So it's for us to, to really set the stage, to really understand what he's saying, go back with me and look at verse number 26 of chapter number one. The Bible says this, if any man among you seem to be religious, now it's important, we, 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 we look at this because what James is going to say here in a minute ties right into what happens here. If he seems to be religious, but he, he doesn't bridle his, not his own tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is, is vain. We, we talked about that. He's literally saying, listen, this man's religion, this man's worship, as we talked about this morning, listen, it's, it's vain, it's worthless. That's what he says. He goes on to say, pure religion, pure worship, and undefiled, spotless, before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction to keep himself unspotted from the world. He says, listen, it's, it's selfless. It's spotless. And now he comes to chapter number 2, verse number 1. And the thought continues. He says, my brethren, once again, he, he, he pulls his, 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 these believers alongside of him. He wraps his arm around him. He says, hey, brothers. He said, I've got something that I want to tell you. He says, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. James draws attention to an overlooked area in the church house that in fact was hindering their pure religion that he had just talked about. 
An area in the church house that was causing them not to be spotless, but to be spotted with sin that they were dismissing and acting like it wasn't a big deal. It was something that was causing them to be spotted by the world. He says there, listen, hey, I have not the the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Now listen, if we can put it into our words today, what was he saying here? He said, listen, there's a problem in your church. There's a problem in your synagogue. There's a problem in your assembly. He says, you know what the problem is? The sin that you're struggling with? Favoritism. Favoritism. Now, before we sit here and we dismiss this and think, well, what's the big deal? Favoritism. What's the big deal about this? Well, he gives us an extreme example of this. He he points it out as we come to to verse number two. He he says this, and and he, he says, For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, the nice clothing. The, it literally means the sparkly clothing, the glittery clothing. He says, and, and you say to him, sit thou here in a good place. And you say to the poor, stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts or, or evil motives is what he says here. You see, it was, it was commonplace in, in this time for, for a person to be poor. That was, that was the normalcy. We live in America where, where we have what's known as the middle class. Uh, we, 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 would, we would identify with that. We would understand that. But, th- but understand this. We can't view this through the lens of our American uh, society because at this time and through most of history, there was no such thing as a middle class. There was the poor and there was the rich. They were the ones that had nothing. They were the ones that, that really ran everything. The ones with no power and the ones with, with power. And he says, there's one that comes in that's poor. That, that really he has, he has nothing. But this other guy that came in, he, he signified as having wealth, having power, by the gold ring on his finger. Now, if you're like me, most of the men in this room, you, you know, one ring's enough for you. But, uh, you know, the, the truth is, is in this day and time, this was something that, that often was the case, that, that they wouldn't just have one ring. They would have golden rings to show their wealth on, on many of their fingers. If they were somebody that was really of great power, they might have rings on every finger. I, as I was studying this, I thought this was interesting that, that they actually had ring rental shops in that day where people could go and they could rent rings so that they could have the appearance of wealth. And times don't change, do they? You know, it's, it's interesting. It's all about the status. It's all about the appearance. It's keeping up with the Joneses, right? That's, that's what was taking place. They, they, could, they could rent the rings, the gold rings, to have an appearance. This man that walked in on this day had that appearance. He, he had the, the gold ring on his, his finger. He had the, the, the clothing that, that made it very clear that he, he came from a place of, of power, position, of authority, a place of, of wealth. And while this man walked in with the golden ring, beautiful apparel, behind him came the other man that walked in. No doubt with tattered clothes, probably no shoes on his feet. Maybe his hair was gone from disease. Let's just be honest, you could probably smell his stench when he walked in the door. Nearly knocked you over. 
Now, now let's be clear about what the Bible's not saying here, okay? There, there have been many that have taken this passage of James out of context and they've used it to say, listen, uh, th- this rich man, I mean, how, how wicked, how evil he was. He should have taken his money and, and his wealth and he should have given it to this, this, this poor man. And, and they, they promote this, this idea that, that, that everybody should just be, be on the same plane and all this. That's not what the Bible's saying here. That's not what it's saying here. No, in fact, the Bible doesn't say that the rich man is bad and it doesn't say that the poor man is good. Neither does it say that the poor man is bad and the rich man is good. The Bible makes no significance of that. It makes very clearly that, listen, there were two different societies. There were, there were multiple places of position. We don't know their background or the life circumstances that brought them to this economic position. It could be that the poor man had worked his entire life and still remained poor and the rich man simply was born into wealth. We, we don't know what the situation. It could be exactly the opposite, that the poor man had wasted everything that he had and the rich man had worked for everything that he had. We don't know their background. We don't know their situation. And understand this, the Bible's not saying one is bad and saying one is good. It's not, it's not what the Bible is saying here. It's simply saying these are two people from two different areas of life. Well, some come to this point and they say, well, listen, this guy's bad and this guy's good. No, no, no. Listen, that's not the point here. The point is this. We should all be rejoicing that they just came to church. <laughs> that's what we should be doing. Here they are. They walk into the assembly. See, the problem was not in the people's wealth or lack thereof. It was in the response to these people. Verse number three clarifies some things with this. He says, and you have respect to him that weareth the, the gay clothing, the nice clothing, and say to him, sit thou here in the good place, and say to the poor, stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. He, the man with means is, is, is cared for and, and catered to, but the poor man is neglected and perceived as a nuisance. It's interesting to me, because if you look there at, at verse number uh, 26 of, of chapter number 1 again, and think about what he says here, if any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his, his tongue. Now look at there again in verse number 3, what's it say? If, and if you have respect of persons that wear the gay clothing, and, and what? And say unto him, sit thou in this good place, and say to the poor, Stand now there, sit there under my footstool. Once again, we, we see that the true revealer of the heart is the mouth. Verse number four, James says, Your partiality, your favoritism is evil. Are you not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts, evil motives? Now, if you're like me, whenever I first was started to study this and, and really started diving into it and started thinking about this matter of favoritism, I, I really was sitting there thinking, you know, I mean, like, no, it's bad, but I mean, like, it's really that bad? I mean, like, we, we all have, we all, the truth is we all play favorites. I mean, it's just true. We all have a favorite child. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have favorite children. We all love our children exactly the same, okay? But, but we all have favorite things, right? If you were to ask me, Kyle, what is your favorite sport, Right? If you ask me that, I, I would not hesitate to tell you my favorite sport is basketball, okay? I love basketball. I'm passionate about it. Notice I like all the other sports. It doesn't mean that I cast them down and, and uh, you know, don't want anything to do it. No, but, but my favorite sport is, is basketball. You say, Kyle, you are a wicked and evil person. Well, maybe, but that's not the reason, okay? It's not because I love basketball. You, 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 could, you could look at me and say, hey, you know, Kyle, what, what, what's your favorite food to eat? 
What's your favorite food? And, and uh, if you were to ask me that, th- this would be a very difficult decision because I have many favorites, okay? Uh, you know, but, but if you were just like to really nail me down and say, you know, Kyle, what's the one thing if you could have above you know, anything else? I, I, it's hard to, to go away with it. It's fluctuated over time. But I, I mean, just honestly, it's definitely not olives. I can tell you that. <laughs> But, but if you had to pin me down, I had to guess, I, I mean, probably biscuits and gravy. I mean, like, I'm just telling you. I mean, the Bible talks about how one day when we get to heaven, there's going to be manna, and there's going to be a river flowing with, with milk and honey, and, and I'm, I'm convinced that, that the manna is biscuits, the milk and honey is gravy. I mean, I just, I mean, I just, you got to read between the Hebrew lines, but I'm just convinced that's what it is. I, it just, you know, I mean, like, that's my, that's my favorite. You know, that's just, it just is what it is. We all have, have favorites, and, and there's nothing wrong with having favorite things. Unless we're talking about people in the house of God. Because when we start showing favoritism when it comes to people, then we have a problem. You see, here's the key in this passage. Why, 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 why were these first century Christians showing favoritism to the rich over the poor. This, this is, uh, I was talking with Tressa about it last night. Is it just that favoritism is bad? No, I mean like, yes, but, but, but here's, here's the key. What was the, not the fruit, favoritism was the fruit. What was the root behind it? Was it simply because of the way that this man looked and what he wore? Is that why they showed favoritism to him? No, I, I don't believe that was, that was the, the end all be all. It was because his wealth signified something else. It signified that he was a person of of power, as we mentioned. And if he has power, don't don't miss it, then what could he do for me? What can I gain by being his friend? Hey, it was very clear as you looked at the poor man, this guy could offer me nothing. Nothing. So why don't you, I just don't really have time for you. If you want, you just go ahead and find a place over there to stand. Or, you know, go, go, go sit over there. I just don't, I don't really have time for you right now. Why? Because I'm, I'm really focused on this guy because I might be able to get something out of it. Once again, we find ourselves back in verse number 27. As James points to the fatherless and the widows who had nothing to offer in exchange for selfless acts done for them and now we find this area that's exposed as false religion of these believers their desire to show favoritism based on what they could get from someone else now don't miss this because god often uses extreme examples to convey subtle subtle truths and that that's what he's doing here okay he, he's, he's using an extreme example. Here's a rich man with rings and, and, and clothes, I mean, just the nicest clothes and all that. And here's this poor man who, who, who has nothing and he's, he's tattered and all these things. And you both enter the church. Yeah, sometimes, but oftentimes it's, it's, it's somewhere in, in between. And so he uses this, this extreme example to convey a, a, a subtle truth. Often in the church house, it's not the extremes 
that convey our selfishness in vain religion. We, we aren't forcing certain people to sit in the cheap seats while we give others the best ones in the house. In fact, many would argue in the church house the best seats are in the back. Okay, at least that's how in the Baptist church it usually works. I mean, I mean nobody, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, like, we had additional people that came in this morning. Casey Lailani, Cody came in. I mean, like, they didn't take the chairs and bring them up here and sit them in the front. They sit them in the back, right? You know, why? Those are the best seats in the house. You know, I mean, that's, that's often the way that, that, that it goes, right? We, 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 we look at it that way. No, most don't walk in the doors of the church with their nose raised to the ceiling. That's, that's not, not what happens. But, but if we're not careful, in our minds we will determine other people's value to us based on what they can or can't do for us. Who you converse with in the church house is, is based on what they offer to you. The relationships that you build are dependent on what someone can do for you. And, and, and let's just be honest, most of the time, we just like to just be selfish and not talk to anybody. <laughs> I mean, that's most good Baptist churches. <laughs> the church becomes a place of status. When this mindset is prevalent, pre- prevalent rather than, than a place of, of servants. And so James directs our attention to what the thoughts should be. Look at verse number 5. It says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love I love this, because once again, here he is again. He, he began chapter number two, my brother, and brings him in. And, and, and then he comes to verse number five, and he says, listen, guys, hearken. That's what that means. Listen, my beloved, guys, I love you. I, I, you got to get this. Your minds shouldn't be set on what you can or can't get from someone based on their economic status. He says, let, let me do that. Let me give you a quick reminder You couldn't receive the promise of his kingdom until you realized your status. What are you talking about, Kyle? Well, understand this. No one gets to heaven based on what they have done. Do you understand this morning that if you know for sure that you're going to spend eternity in heaven one day, it isn't because of who you are or what you've done. Look at what he says there again. He says there in verse number 5. He says, listen, hath not God chosen the poor of this world? Rich in faith. You see, before you can receive Christ as your Savior, you know what you have to understand first? I've got nothing to offer. There's nothing that I can do myself. If I come to God and say, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do these things in some way we are going to earn our way to eternity in heaven, we think that we have something to offer when we've got nothing. We're poor in the eyes of God. The Bible tells us in Titus 3, verse number 5, exactly how we get it. Listen, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing, regeneration, and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 2.8.9 is such a familiar passage, but we, we, over, we, we don't think about it. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, 
lest any man should boast. If it were not for the grace and the mercy of God, you and I would be on our way to a lake of fire for all of eternity. Listen, friend, if you think you're going to get there on your own, the Bible is very clear. You ain't doing it. Because all fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Friend, this morning, sometimes we get this this perspective. We come to church and we come in and we see people in the world and everybody that we see, we're, we're judging them based upon their appearance. And you know what we do? We base them and we judge them based upon who we think we are. Friend, the Bible tells us in John 14, verse number 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Do you know how much work? We got a lot of contractors and, 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 and builders and, and people with construction experience in this room. Do you know how many blocks that you're going to lay for your mansion in heaven? Not a one. Do, do you understand, I mean, just how much time you're going to spend on that roof putting the shingles on? Or, or maybe for some of you, it's going to be, uh, you know, a, a, a sheet metal. I, I don't know, you know, but, but do, you, do you understand just how much time you're going to spend up there putting uh, on, on that ladder, put, working on, on your house? Do you, do you understand? Not a second. You want to know why? Because it's not based on you. It's not based on me. You see, I'm, I'm poor, but it's God that made me rich. It's all because of Him. You do nothing. You, you have nothing to do with that mansion. It's all Jesus. You have nothing to do with your sins being taken away except for trusting in God to do it all. You were poor, and the Bible says, He reminds him here, He, he is the one that made you rich. And James is saying here, why are you getting distracted by someone that has a few material possessions on this earth and neglecting those who don't have any when both have a soul that is poor and in need of a Savior? That's what he's getting to here. You're so concerned with with playing favorites with the outward appearance of this guy and the outward appearance of this guy, that you're missing the only thing that actually matters. They both have a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. You're overlooking the thing that, 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 that actually matters because you're so concerned on what you can get. Oh, listen, the, friend, the, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.10, these guys, this is the condition that they were, they were in. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. In Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Isaiah 64, verse number 6, it says, but we are all as an unclean thing. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do fade as a leaf, and our iniquity like the wind have taken us away. It says you're playing favorites. When both have a major need that you're just pretending doesn't matter. So he gives them a quick reminder in verses 6 through 8. 
says, but ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat? Do not they blaspheme the worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. James really cuts to the heart with these, these young believers. He says, don't, don't you see that you've been caught up in what you can get from the rich? You've done it so much that you've shamed the poor. Do you think that he's going to want what you've got now? All this while, the way that you're treating him, the way that you're putting him aside, the way that you're neglecting him and avoiding him and not having anything to do with him, he said, do you really think he's going to want what you've got now? And by the way, do you want to know what the rich has given you, he says? Court dates to persecute you. James penned those words in verses 6 through 7. I can't help but wonder if he didn't have his half-brother Jesus in the front of his mind. If he wasn't thinking about Jesus being led by the wealthy crowd, being persecuted by the, the wealthy crowd that moved everything into place so that Jesus would be condemned and corrupt before their eyes and ultimately crucified. He says all the while you're you're catering to these guys. You're neglecting these guys and you're missing the only thing that actually matters. And then he comes to verse number 8 and I feel like James, I mean he just really gets him. Look there again. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself ye do well. It's kind of like he says to them, listen, you're so concerned with getting what's best for you, if you would love them as much as you love yourself, you'd be focused on the right things. Can you feel the, the tension that those first century Christians must have felt as they read James's letter? You feel the conviction that, that they must have, have felt in this moment as they're, they're sitting there and James says, listen, you've missed the only thing that, that actually matters. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hey, and the second's likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And instead of loving them for who they are and what they need, the only thing you're concerned with is what you can get from them. See, the unsaid words are very clear. You are selfish. You are spotted. Your religion is vain. Because you're playing favorites when you should be giving them Jesus. Friend, as we finish up today, We've all fallen into this trap of favoritism. I have no doubt about it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's human nature. We all, we all find ourselves in these places. Listen, you, you might not walk into the church intending to neglect someone and, and to honor others. But don't we do it so many times? How, how often is my thoughts towards someone spiritual rather than selfish? Oftentimes it's all about what I can get. I mean, let's be honest, most of our conversations aren't based on what we feel that we can get from someone, what we want to talk about. It's all about me. It's all about I. It's all about us. 
And if I don't feel comfortable talking to them, then I just won't. Because it's all about me. All the while it could be that people are walking in the doors of this church, sitting in these seats and walking out without Jesus because nobody even showed them the love of Christ. Nobody reached out a hand. Nobody asked how they were doing. Nobody cared. We traveled in evangelism for about five years and as I traveled in evangelism, we went to a lot of different churches and things like that. It was, it was just kind of the nature of the beast, going to different churches every week and, and meeting new people. And I can remember a couple of churches in particular that I went to by myself. I said stayed home with the kids. And I can remember walking in into that church and, and like honestly, it felt like a zoo. Okay? Not because things were chaotic and crazy, okay? It, it felt like a zoo and it felt like I was the attraction, the main attraction. I mean, it's like everybody like sat back and just looked, you know? It's just like, okay, you know? And, and, uh, and, they paid, and it felt like I should do a cartwheel or something, you know? I mean, just like really, but I mean like nobody even came up. Nobody said hello. Nobody said hi. And, 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 and I mean, there was, there was none of that. There was no interaction. And, and I'll just be honest with you. I didn't really want to interact with them either. So it all worked out, okay? I, I, was, I was pretty introverted My and so I was okay just to just to keep to myself uh, while they kept to themselves, and we had an understanding. Well, maybe we would nod, but that was as far as it would go, you know. And uh, and what was and, and what a sh- what a sad thing that is, though. What a sad thing that is. See, the church shouldn't be like a zoo, where somebody walks in and it's like, ooh, I wonder what species that is. You know, I mean, like that's that's not the way that it should be. The church is supposed to be a, a family. Now, listen, I, I don't know how your family is. Maybe, maybe you got problems. Listen, and, and the truth is every family's got the, the nutty uncle, okay? I mean, like, and, and, and maybe you're the nutty uncle in this church. We don't know. But, but listen, I mean, like, if you don't know who the nutty uncle is, it's probably you, okay? But, I mean, like, that's, 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 that's just the case. But listen, we're a family. We're a family. And as a family, you should, you should reach out to those that, that come in. We should welcome them with open, with open arms. And yet so many times we don't go out of our way to care for someone else because we're so concerned on what we want or what we can get. Jesus Christ was the greatest illustrator to ever live. There's no question about it. When Jesus spoke, the multitudes literally hung on every word that, that he said. I mean, just, just amazing how he, he weaves things together. And in Luke chapter number 10, Jesus is given an illustration uh, to a group of them. He had, he had someone that came and asked him questions and, and, and it said, who's, who's my neighbor? And, and Jesus, instead of just saying, well, it's this guy over here. No, Jesus gives them an illustration. He, he, and I love how, how, Jesus, how Jesus spoke. In, in Luke chapter number 10, verse number 31, he, he begins telling this story about this man that, that went down and he was making his way to, to, to Jericho from Jerusalem. And as he was making his way, he was, he was robbed, beaten, and, and left for dead on the side of the road. And it says this, and by chance, I mean, it just, it just so happened, there came down a certain priest that way. Do you understand things don't happen by chance? I mean, God has you here today for a purpose, for a reason. Jesus, by chance, this guy just happened to pass by. It was a priest. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, I mean, another religious fella, 
When he was at that place, came and looked on him. Oh man, what a shame. Look at this guy. And he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan. Now listen here, okay? Listen. When Jesus said that, the crowd's jaw just dropped, okay? I mean, like, they're just like, Samaritan. I mean, like, the Samaritans were like the antithesis of the Jews. I mean, the Jews didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans. In fact, I mean, there was just like, I mean, like, they, they, they didn't want to speak the word. That's why when, when Jesus was, was there and he said, I must needs go through Samaria, and he, he met the woman at the well, the disciples were like, why do we have to go through there? I don't want to, we don't want to go through there. They would literally make a big loop around Samaria because they didn't want to have to go through and be defiled by those people, the Samaritans. And Jesus says, and then, and then, listen, there was a priest, and there was this Levite, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, I mean, like he says this, and I mean, like the people are waiting, they're like, this guy probably went over and robbed this guy for everything left that he had. I mean, like, that's what's going through their minds. He came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. What? I mean, like the crowd at this point is just stunned. I mean, you talk about Jesus just taking it to the extreme. That's what he's doing here. And he went to him. And he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an end. And he took care of him. They're like, this is unbelievable. There's no way this actually happened. That's what they're thinking. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you an account. This is true. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, gave them to the host, and said unto him, take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will pay thee. So do whatever you got to do to help this guy. I mean, he's, he's beaten, he's broken. And listen, this guy's not going to be able to do anything in return for my kindness. But do whatever you got to do to help him. Here's, and we've said this before, but I, I'm, I'm always just stunned by this. At the top of my, my Bible in that, in that passage in Luke chapter number 10, I'm sure in yours as well, it has a heading. And you know what the heading says? It says the good Samaritan. The parable of the good Samaritan. Now here's this, I, when, I, when the Lord first showed this to me, it just, it floored me. In that passage, it never says that he's good. It never says it. It never says this, there was a good Samaritan. Jesus says there was a certain Samaritan. It never calls him good. Did you know that is a, a, a definition, an adjective that we have attributed to him, that we have assigned to him. Why? Because of what he did. That he went out of his way to care for somebody's need. And because of that, we say, man, he was a good Samaritan. You realize Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, left the comfort of heaven, came to the sinful world, suffered for 33 and a half years, bled and died on a cross for you and for me, and he went out of his way to put himself in your way. So that you could see him. Friend, when was the last time you went out of your way 
to put yourself in someone else's way so that they could see Christ. The truth is, is most of the time when we play favorites, the real one that we choose above everyone else is ourselves. Ourselves. Because the truth is, is so many times we're just flat out selfish. Next week we're going to have our, our big day. I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. We're having a, a big day here at Whitehall Baptist Church where we're going to have the, 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 the chili and we're going to have the, the pie and we're going to have the, the flow, the, 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 the jump house and, and we're going to have all kinds of things going on. Lord willing, we're going to have guests that come in from all different walks of life. Here, here's, here's the question. When they walk through the doors, will anybody get up and greet them? Will anyone tell them hello? Will anybody show them the love of Christ? Or will you stay on your side of the road? And watch. Somebody may walk in here with the greatest need of Jesus Christ. And yet because of the response of the believers in the church, they can walk out without Him. Are we playing favorites? It's all about us. Will we only see the wardrobe? Or will you see someone that might need Jesus? Friend, let's decide today not just to be a Christian, but let's decide to be a good one. A good one. To stop playing the favorites game. Stop being selfish and decide to go out of our way, your way, so that somebody else might see Christ. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed this morning as we finish our service. We're going to have a brief time where we have an opportunity to respond to the Lord. We call it an invitation time. We'll have a time of, of, of music, and, and as the, the instrument plays I'd encourage you to take a few moments and and respond to the Lord. That's the purpose of preaching. That's the purpose of, of reading God's Word and studying God's Word. Is that we might respond to it. And maybe this morning as we studied it, the Lord pricked in your heart and you realize, I'm just not as friendly as I should be. I mean, let's just be honest, it's, it's so easy for us to get inside of ourselves and only do what we feel comfortable with. But listen, we're not supposed to be the best version of us. We're supposed to be more and more like Christ. Christ went out of His way to put Himself in your way so that you could see Him. And it's our duty as Christians to go out of our way to put ourselves in others' way so that they can see Christ. This morning, let's not play favorites. Let's not play the game. Let's have that real Christianity, real religion that we've talked about. Set aside our selfishness. And put our eyes on Christ. Who He is, what He's done. May we respond to Him. Maybe Maybe your prayer needs to be simple this morning. Maybe it's something as simple as, Lord, help me. Next week, somebody comes in this church that I don't know, help me to go over and and, and just greet them. Be kind to them. 
It could be something as simple as that. But listen, friend, we got to start somewhere. May the church house be a family place that shows love and care for one another. With eyes bowed and with eyes closed this morning, let's let's stand together. And, and Isaac's going to lead us in a few verses of a song. And I'd, I'd encourage you, sing, sing from your heart to the Lord. And, and maybe you want to take a few moments to just spend time in prayer to Him as the music is played. I